Well, hello, Upper Room. So glad that you jumped on for the podcast this week. This is Kevin Tips, and in this message, I share on the stewardship of mysteries. Um, when I was processing with the Lord recently in both some glorious things that were happening in and around the Upper Room community, but also some really painful losses that we were enduring, the Lord said something to me that really framed this message. And what he said was that we're not just heirs of his promises, we're also stewards of mystery. And so in this message, I look at the mystery of trials and the mystery of tribulation and how we posture our hearts to remain in faith in the midst of both. And so I pray that as you listen, whether you're in a trial or a tribulation of your own, that this would strengthen your faith and establish you in the goodness of God, even in the midst of hardship. And if you're doing wonderful and the sun is bright and shining and all is well, then I pray that this message deposits something in you for the day of trouble when and if it comes um, that would allow you to stand and to stand firm in those days. And so I bless you as you listen. We love you. I love you. And enjoy this message. Come on up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, are Laura and Dave still here in the room, or are they debriefing? Dave, is Laura still here? Is she somewhere? Laura, if you'd stand up. Dave, would you stand up? Laura, is Laura here? No? Okay. We'll get her too, Lord. I, um, man, I went over to JLU during worship. And I said, I am so refreshed by the purity of their heart. And this isn't a statement in comparison to anyone else. It's an assessment of heaven over you and Laura, that your hearts are pure. And the blessing for the pure in heart is that they see God. <laughs> and I felt like that song that we just sang um, before the beautiful part, but I want to see is not just a song, it's the cry of you and Laura's heart. And I feel like he's gonna answer that cry in a profound way soon. And I feel like um, I was reminded of the prophets of old that were caught up and saw things they couldn't describe. And I feel like you're gonna begin encountering the Lord in ways that is hard to articulate. And yet songs are gonna be written to describe otherly things and the, the bride's actually going to be positioned to sing to God in the language of God. I don't even know really what that means, but I feel like there's songs in you through encounters that are coming. And so can we just extend your hands, and Laura, wherever you are, this is for you too. <laughs> Laura, this is for you too. <laughs> She's like, what's going on? Extend your hands towards Laura. You can go back and watch the live stream in here. We bless you as the pure in heart. Wow. To see, to see, to see, to see, to see. And I hear it, I hear in my spirit, behold, behold the bridegroom's coming. Behold, look, 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 write and sing. Look, write and sing. In Jesus' name, amen. We bless you. Man, we are so, we're so blessed by who God brings 
to this house, not just the people that we get to see up front, but all of y'all. <laughs> There's so many special, special men and women here, so um, it's an honor to be here. Uh, gosh, I, um, let me do this. <laughs> you never know, you know? Um, <laughs> provision. Ho! Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Beth. <laughs> Whoa, this is low. Um, I, um, well, I, uh, I'm Kevin, and I am so, hello. Uh, I'm a pastor here, and uh, I, I'm so, so grateful to be sharing this morning. Um, I, man, the Lord's doing so much in our midst. Um, I remember, gosh, this was early 2000s, probably. Um, someone handed me a CD. Um, most of you hopefully know what that is. We don't use them anymore. But um, it has music on it and stuff. And uh, someone handed me this CD, and um, it was a Graham Cook CD. And I had never heard of Graham Cook before. I didn't grow up in any kind of, that kind of stream. And so it was kind of like this, you know, Graham. It was like this prophetic word, prayer, teaching all in one. And it was just laced with the Father's love all throughout. And I would listen to it. But it really marked me. And I remember a part of that CD, or in that message prayer thing that he was doing, in his quintessential British accent, which just always sounds so much more anointed. Ah, man. If you're British, you should always read the Bible out loud. It just, we had a small group, a table group in our home, and, um, and uh, Bella was there, and um, she works with um, Giovanna and um, helps with the kids, and uh, she's from London, and I'd, I'd joke with her and be like, you're always in charge of reading the scripture at small group. Um, <clears throat> but in his British accent, he um, said, beloved, I'm not going to do the accent. <laughs> um, <laughs> He said, uh, we no longer have the right to define our days, times, and seasons as good or bad. Um, Because for us, all is grace. Sometimes it's grace to enjoy. um, And sometimes it's grace to endure. uh, And oftentimes it's a little bit of both at the same time. And that always stuck with me. Grace to enjoy grace to endure, but regardless of the season, it's a little bit of both all the time. And um, that is certainly true right now. We are seeing God do incredible things in our midst. We have a team that was in LA for Gen Z. I can't, yes, can't wait for the Millers to get back and report all that the Lord did. I um, was kind of popping on a little bit of the, the live stream last night, and they were baptizing kids, and I'm like, man, like destinies over lives were released last night. Like young people saw Jesus for the first time last night. Like lineages and family lines were changed last night and yesterday because of what God did at Gen Z. It just is, we're gonna get to eat the fruit of it. Um, in addition to that, we had a bunch of teams uh, uh, all over in cities uh, doing table tours where we were uh, leading the church to the table of the Lord for communion, for worship. Um, some powerful testimonies came out of those gatherings. And then, of course, we've been in um, just a season of God drawing near specifically with our young people. And the fact that I call them young people sadly means I'm no longer one of them. Um, <laughs> I caught myself calling them young people, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm calling them young. Dang it, I'm young at heart. 
Um, and he's drawing exceptionally close, especially to our USM students. And there's a, a small group of second years that he's really especially gripped. And I want to tell you, I had um, one of them uh, in my office uh, this past week, and I was just asking him, you know, tell me, what is the Lord doing? Uh, describe to me what's happening to you, um, to this little, you know, group, and why do you think he's doing it? And most importantly, how are you processing it? How are you, um, how are you not just alone, but together? How are you guys talking about this and processing it so it doesn't just become an experience, um, but an apprehension of a substance? Like, and I want to tell you, I was so encouraged by the sobriety, the humility, um, the intentionality that they are both receiving what the Lord's doing, but processing it together. And I left that conversation just like so grateful. And I'm like, Lord, you're among us. You're doing things. And so um, in light of that, um, this evening, Trace is actually going to be sharing. He oversees our USM uh, uh, school of ministry. And um, since there's going to be so many young adults, uh, he's going to be kind of just speaking to what the Lord is doing and kind of pastoring um, our young adults into how to uh, receive and steward all that the Lord's doing. And then um, after he's done, we're going to cut the live stream um, just to honor the sacredness of what God's doing um, and allow those who want to continue to linger in the presence of God and seek him to do so. And so if you come tonight or if you're watching online, uh, just know that it, it'll be a little bit different in how the service will end. So all of that is amazing. Grace to enjoy. Amen. We're enjoying what God's doing. Um, but it's also been a really hard week. Um, on Monday, Labor Day, our offices were closed, and um, <clears throat> it was a day of rest for my family, and, um, and uh, we were preparing, actually, to go and celebrate uh, the engagement of Alzavian and Olivia, which is so exciting. <laughs> yeah, and so they had an engagement um, party gathering thing uh, that evening, and so we were looking forward to that when uh, I got a text message, um, an SOS prayer for Laura Boley. Um, and as you may know, you know, just recently at 820, uh, when we lavishly sewed into the plans and purposes of God for our community, um, that date was chosen because that was the date that we lost uh, a papa and elder and a special, special man, Terry Lindsay. And if you didn't get to know him, I'm sorry. Uh, you missed out. <laughs> he was so special. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, that was the day that he passed suddenly, unexpectedly. And um, Michael described that he had had this encounter where the Lord in his mercy showed him Terry. And Terry looked at him and almost communicated, don't get lost in the loss. Don't get hindered by the unknown. But he said he looked at him and he lifted his arms and he goes, advance take ground, move forward. And so Advanced Day came in honor of Terry Lindsay's legacy. Um, and just, you know, a few days later on Memorial Day, I get an SOS text, pray for Laura. She had been improving. We had been praying for her. Um, she was in kind of the, the last stages of getting 
prepared to be released. She had just had her fourth child, and there's complications, got sepsis. It was life or death, um, but she had seemed to pull through and suddenly made a turn. And um, so prayed and um, took a little nap that afternoon and woke up to a text that said, Laura is gone. And um, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> um, I, I was, I, when something like that happens, <laughs> it is wildly disorienting. And your heart is feeling a thousand things at once, and mine was grieving, not just the loss, but the now reality for Jason, for their children. Um, it felt exceptionally cruel, um, the attack and the warfare around the Lindsay family. Um, and I was mad, um, not just at the enemy, but I was mad at God. And thank God he's big enough to know what to do with that, right? Thank God we don't have to hide our real emotions before God because he already sees them. Um, more than we even feel them, he sees them. And I, the first thing I said to God, I lost my dad in 2008 to cancer. Um, he was young and it happened very quickly. And so I've been touched personally by, um, you know, premature death. And I told the Lord, I said, God, I hate cancer. I hate death. I hate it all. I hate death. I hate it. And there was this pause, and I just felt the Lord draw near to me. He didn't say anything for a while. And then he whispered, Kev, I do too. And he sat, and we lamented together. And like a good father, he didn't say anything. He wasn't trying to give me the right answer. He just sat in it with me. And after some time, he spoke something to me that is going to frame where we're going to go today. And, and what he whispered to me in the wrestle of the why questions and the confusion, the disorientation was, Kev, you're not just heirs of my promises. You're also stewards of my mysteries. You're not just heirs of promise, your stewards of mysteries. Of course, Galatians 3 says that we are heirs to the promises of God, that because of Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen in him, that we've been grafted in by faith into um, the lineage and bloodline of Abraham, that all of God's promises to Israel are ours. All the benefits of the new covenant are ours in Christ. Praise God. We have confidence in life because we know that the promises of God are irrevocable and are unfolding before us. Even when we don't see them, even when we can't recognize how they're unfolding, there will be a day when a Jewish man in a glorified body descends from heaven. And the full culmination of everything this book points to, we will see with our eyes. Wow. We are heirs to the promise. It's good news. It makes us confident. 
expectant, hopeful. But we're also stewards of mystery. What does that mean? Well, we're stewards of mystery because how the promises of God unfold often look differently than how we expect. His ways are not our ways. He sees the end from the beginning and everything between. We are created things, and he is uncreated. We are temporal. He is eternal. We are limited, so frail, so fragile, and he is the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, creator, sustainer, speaker into existence of all things that is. And so though we get to stand confidently in his promises, we are continually ushered into seasons of mystery, and even more so as the days unfold and his return uh, is closer. And the way that we express our faith looks differently than when we're contending for a promise, than when we're stewarding a mystery. And so Jesus in Luke 18, a parable on persistence in prayer, has a very sobering question and a very real concern that he expresses at the end of that chapter, or at least the end of that that section. And he says this, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith in the earth? That is a real question. It might have been rhetorical in that moment, but it is a question for us to wrestle with now. And again, we are not just standing on faith for the promises, but faith in the mystery. And as his, this day approaches, as a house that cries out Maranatha, we are crying out for the glory of God to be revealed, for justice in the earth, for the full redemption of the planet and the cosmos. We are praying for the reign and rule of a king of love, kindness, mercy, grace, truth. Yes. But we're also crying out for the great and terrible day of the Lord. And when we cry out Maranatha, Hidden in that cry is the request for suffering. Within the Maranatha cry is a profession of our willingness to suffer. All that can be shaken will be shaken. And his grace is abundant. And we will stand in that shaking in the name of Jesus. But we will see it and we will feel it and it will touch us. We will not be immune to it. And the temptation in that day and the mystery of all that is unfolding as the earth is groaning and increasing in its groan that the sons of God are revealed in that mystery, many will lose faith and may it not be so of us. And so in these moments where we're thrust into the unknown, uncertainty, the the disorientation of pain, loss, trial, and tribulation, we have an opportunity to forge something with Jesus. Wow, on the inside of us. That is being built up. That we are living stones being built up for the days ahead. I don't want this to, I'm, I have to be honest, because I'm just like that. I'm intimidated to talk about suffering, because it's not fun. <laughs> I wish, it, I don't want to talk about it, um, but he has me talking about it, so I'm, we're, we're going to talk about it. Um, but I hope to do it in a way that magnifies his goodness, 
in no way diminishes it, but magnifies the goodness of God. Why? Because we never suffer needlessly. And we're promised the end of the story. (laughs) And we never suffer alone. He is with us always. Um, If you open your Bibles to Romans 4, um, Abraham, the father in the faith, I love Romans 4. I love it for a couple of reasons because it conveniently, uh, in, in the record of Abraham's unwavering faith, it conveniently neglects to mention Ishmael, um, which is really comforting because from heaven's perspective, sometimes what we think is our biggest mistakes are long forgotten and have no part of the record. Praise God. Yay. If you have a whole like laundry list of boo-boos like I do, that's good news. Um, I love that Ishmael's not in here. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, starting in verse, uh, oh, let's see, 17. Um, well, let's start 16. Um, what? Oh, I thought someone said wait, but I think it was a kid. Um, <laughs> wait what? Wait for what? Yes, wait upon the Lord. Uh, Romans 16, no, Romans 4, 16. Uh, That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise (laughs) may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it's written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. There's so much hope laced in that one statement. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Listen to this. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do that which he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. No, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Holy Spirit, you are teacher. You instruct us into truth. You reveal the ways and the character and the beauty of Jesus. Would you teach us today, Holy Spirit? We incline our ear to you. We offer you our hearts and our minds. Would you flood them and fill them with thoughts and affections worthy of you, Lord? Father, help me. Season the words with salt. Help me be faithful to your word in Jesus' name. Um, man, I love this passage of scripture because, oh my gosh, there's so much here. 
I love this passage. I love the fact that it says that God who is able to give life to the dead and call that which is not into existence. I can't tell you how many times I've quoted that scripture back to God in prayer. Even things that I may have abandoned and forgotten and neglected that died, he's able to resurrect. Even things that I don't see, there's actually no way in the natural. I know that I am absolutely incapable of. I can come to God in certainty of his character and power that he is able to actually create what is truly not there. I love that. I love that Abraham had real faith, which is not denying the facts. If faith denies facts, then facts are greater than faith, and that's bunk, dude. Faith is not not saying you have a diagnosis when you have one. Faith is acknowledging facts, but being anchored in something eternal and unshakable. It's actually being anchored in something superior that actually brings glory to God and makes us shine like stars in the universe. Faith looks and sees and acknowledges what is while placing full confidence in the one who's unseen and his character and his power and his ability. He looked and he was like, I'm old as dirt. My wife is dried up. There is no way this can happen. But I'm not going to waver because God who promised is faithful and the one who promised will deliver. I don't know how this is going to happen, but it's not about her barrenness and it's not about my wrinkles. It's about the promise maker, the promise keeper, and the promise deliverer. He didn't waver because he kept looking. He kept reminding his soul. Who was the one that made the promise? What had he created? This God spoke life into nothingness. <laughs> As he looked over the stars that God said would become his offspring, he couldn't help but remember that those stars flew out of the mouth of God. He didn't waver in faith. He heard God Leave everything you know, what's familiar, what's known, what's comfortable, and go. Go where? I don't know. I'll show you. You know when you get there, right? He saw, he heard, and he still endured the wandering. He picked up his wife, his servants, his stuff, and just hit the road, right? He trusted in the Lord and the mystery of where this supposed promised land was, He saw the reality of his weakness. He saw the barrenness of his situation, and yet he still hoped to believe. He endured the waiting, and he endured the silence. He suffered and was still obedient. Man, I have a five-year-old son. I think Isaac was like 13 or 17 or something, and scholars say um, if you have teenagers, it's probably a little easier to consider putting them on the altar than a (laughs) five-year-old. I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm joking. (laughs) I'm joking. (laughs) Lord, help me when I get there. Oh, Jesus. If you have teenagers, pray for me. Um, I have a five-year-old. So it's really hard. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine. You know, it was a three-day journey with his son and his servant and a donkey to make it to the mountain. Three days of conversation, of laughter, 
of time spent around a fire at night, looking at the stars, being reminded of what the father said, your offspring will outnumber these. And yet he's with his beloved promised son, knowing I'm about to slaughter my child? Why? The questions, did I really hear? Is that really God? This doesn't make sense. Can you imagine the anguish in Abraham's soul, the confusion, the questions, the wrestle? And yet he was obedient and God provided and preserved the promise in a way that he couldn't foresee until he was there. Um, So we have much to learn from Abraham. We're so blessed to be grafted into his inheritance. We are his inheritance. Um, But I want to specifically look at the stewardship of two mysteries. And um, they're the mysteries of trials and the mysteries of tribulations. Um, These are not one and the same thing. Um, They serve different purposes and they have a different origin. Um, And so I want to talk about how we are to steward our faith in the midst of a mystery of a trial or a mystery of a tribulation. What is, where is God in those things? What is required of us to steward well those seasons and situations? What's being produced inside of us as we endure? And ultimately, what is the promise on the other side? Because victory is always the intended destination. So what's the promise that we can cling to and contend for even in the midst of the mystery? John uh, 16.33 says, um, in this life you will have trials and tribulations, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so first, uh, I want to talk about the mystery of trial. The mystery of trials. I'm going to make a statement in a minute. Let me finish explaining the statement before you tune me out. Trials come from the Lord. Trials come from God. We are led into trials by the Spirit of God. And I'm going to tell you what a trial is and why. (laughs) That word trial, again, these are two different Greek words. They have two different origins, two different meanings. Trial. Um, I'm probably going to butcher this pronunciation, but um, purasmos, purasmos, Greek scholars in the room, anyone? No? Rebuke me later, thanks. Um, What it literally means is to put to proof. It's to... Put to proof. It's to prove something. See, when we're led into a mystery of a trial, it's not about, we are not being led into the threat of something being taken away from us. We are actually being led into a season of something that's already there being revealed in us. That's a big difference. God, by his spirit, leads us into seasons of trial so that he can put on display the handiwork that he's already done in us. If you have been delivered from stuff, you've been set free from hang-ups, issues, wonky behavior, addictions, you name it, there are moments when we get led by the Spirit of God into a trial, and we find that these voices, familiar voices, pop back up. 
And suddenly we're reconsidering maybe going back and dabbling in some things that we have been walking in great freedom from for a while. And we can get confused. Was I really free? Was I? But let me tell you, you can't know the full extent of the transformation that has happened inside of you until you're led into a trial, into familiar situations, circumstances, and feelings, and respond differently. When we're in trial, we're actually stepping into places of realizing what God's done and hidden and secret inside of us. It is an un- a trial is not adversity. It is an unveiling. It doesn't feel like that. It feels like God's a thousand miles away and he's left you all alone. He is silent and absent and angry at you. No. Not at all. God is putting you on the shelf saying, look at my beloved. Look at the work of my hands. Look. Okay. Yay. Okay, good. So the mystery of of trial, it's an inside-out work. A trial, though it has circumstantial pressures to it, The real thing that makes a trial a trial is what's happening in our hearts. The questions, the fear, the doubt, the familiarity, the familiar spirit, the familiar voices, thoughts, habits, behavior. It's an inside-out work. Oftentimes in a season or a mystery of trial, um, it's kind of marked by one of two things, sometimes a little bit of both. We're either ushered into waiting where we've heard the Lord speak, we know he's given us a promise, whether by the word or by the spirit or by prophetic utterance. We know that we know that God has said something to be true. And yet day after day, week after week, year after year, it's not looking like it's ever gonna come to pass. We are waiting and knocking and waiting and knocking and nothing. No sign, no breakthrough, just the same. That is part of the trial, um, the mystery of trial. The other aspect is that oftentimes in those seasons, God is silent. Um, His nearness, his voice, our ability to feel his presence in a moment seems like it's vanished entirely. I don't know if you've gone through seasons like that before. If you haven't, you will. And if you have, you probably will again. They're horrible in their feeling, but majestic in their outcome. I think even corporately, we're in a season of trial a little bit, even in the outpouring. We are believing God that he has led us to the cedars, that he's spoken, that he showed us the property, and we need $6 million quick. How on earth is that going to come? I don't know. We don't have it. I I don't know but we believe, right? And the temptation in the waiting portion of a trial is, is twofold. It's doubt or it's control. When we're in waiting, we start, to, we start to hear those whispers. Was that really God? Did I miss it somehow? Was that person really, do you think they were really, was that a real prophetic word? I don't, maybe we start second guessing and doubting and before we know it, we justify aborting the promise altogether because it's just too uncomfortable to continue to wait on the Lord. But the other pitfall is control. 
This is why I'm glad that Ishmael's not mentioned in Romans 4, but perhaps he's not mentioned because we're still, we're still reaping the consequences of Abraham taking control of the promise. Ishmael is still bucking up against the, the offspring of Abraham, right? Which is really sobering for us because could it be that in a moment of independence, we step into control and try to apprehend and make the promise happen that actually bears fruit for generations, wonky fruit, destructive fruit. We have that much authority and power in our life. Our decisions are that important. I'm not saying that as a pressure to put on you. I put no yoke on you other than the yoke of Jesus. But it is a sobering reality that we don't realize what's at stake sometimes. That our waiting isn't just because God's delaying. No, not at all. It's because he's producing something of eternal value. In waiting, there is grace to remain dependent in faithfulness. But there is temptation to become controlling in independence. To become distrusting and doubtful of God. And so we have to daily entrust ourselves to the Lord to daily bring that which he spoke, he said before him and say, I, Lord, I'm getting weary. You've got to sustain me in a dry and weary land. I'm tired. I'm knocking, but you said, if I keep knocking, the door will be open to me. If I keep seeking, I will find. Like Abraham, I believe that you promised and that you are faithful to deliver what you've promised. But help me, Lord, I'm growing weary and he will give you daily bread. The other, the other you know, challenge in a mystery, stewarding a mystery of trial is silence. I think Jesus is a perfect example of this. In Matthew 4, he gets baptized. The heavens are opened to him. He hears the audible voice of God and visibly sees the Holy Spirit descending, resting, and remaining. This is a power encounter, <laughs> right? Like, I... I've had some cool, crazy encounters with the Lord, but I haven't experienced that yet. That's a power encounter. End of chapter three, beginning of chapter four. It says, and so then the spirit of God led him into the wilderness to be tested, to be tempted by the devil. And so for 40 days and 40 nights, he is led out by God into a trial, into a place that's parched and dry without water, without food, and the devil comes to him. And what happens? He, he asks him the questions, did God not say? Are you not? He starts to feed into the doubtful questions. And what does Jesus do? The father is still not speaking audibly, right? He's not coming and saying, leave my son alone. I'm pleased with him. So he didn't, you know, no. Jesus, in the father's silence, recalls the words of God in the scripture. See, people get hung up when they're in a season of trial and God's silent. You're not hearing his voice. People get hung up because they want to continue to contend to hear his voice again when really what's happening is that you are being established to hear his voice here. That this, this, we don't need to hear all the time when we have access to his words here. 
Both are glorious, but in a seasons of that, that loss of tangible hearing, tangible feeling, we can still recall the words of the Lord and use them as food and weapon to sustain us in the wilderness. Amen? If you grew up in a family, I want to be sensitive because I know some of you grew up in a family where silence was punishment. Maybe in a marriage, if you do something wrong, if you show weakness in some way, if you miss it somehow, you get the silent treatment or you got the silent treatment. That is not how God operates. That is not how God operates. He does not use silence as punishment. He uses silence. Silence is not against us. It is for us so that we become, we become established in his word and we walk by faith, not feeling, props, propaganda, or someone else's regurgitation. Faith becomes real in us in the silence of God. In Psalm 23, uh, it says, though I walk through the, the deep shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear, fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. I think that's interesting because you would think if the sheep hear his voice, it would be the voice of the shepherd that comforts the sheep. But that's not what it says. In the valley of darkness, of wilderness, of shadow, uh, where we feel like he's completely disappeared, we can't see him past the fog of our circumstances and absence of feeling. His rod and staff is what brings us comfort. I've heard before people say, you know, well, shepherds break the legs of their sheep and carry them, and that's how they teach them to follow them. And I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't, that doesn't sound like my father to me, really. I, because, because we're not in the valley of the shadow of death punitively. We're led into the wilderness to be put on display. And I'm like, Lord, you got to show me a different interpretation for that rod and staff thing. Unless that is it, then I'll wrestle with it. But what he showed me was um, shepherds when, especially if they're walking in a narrow place, a precarious place, think of a valley. It's a rainstorm, fog, you can't see anything. Um, echoes are happening. Sheep are pretty stupid. And, <laughs> which I find great comfort in. <laughs> um, but they require not only on the audible leadership of the shepherd, but the visual. And so when they lose their vision and the audible can get kind of lost in the noise of the storm, or the conditions they're walking in, the shepherd will take his staff, and as he's walking, bam, bam, not the sheep, <laughs> bam, he'll hit the rocks, he'll hit the ground, so that the sheep can feel where the shepherd's going. When we are led into the wilderness, when we lose sight and sound of our shepherd, he is still leading us. And we are still feeling our way towards him. And part of what he's producing in us is the quiet confidence and rest of knowing that we are his prized possession. That when we don't understand, that's no threat to us. Because we know that his commitment 
to us far extends our ability to follow him. <laughs> but we're also learning to hear him in new ways. Where he's actually in the trial, he's expanding our capacity to understand his character, to recognize his voice, and to understand his ways. Matthew 10, 27. See, and I will, well, I'll tell you a story from my life. In 2013, so I, was, I came here in 2012. Um, radical encounter, glorious, like, ah. And got pulled out of crazy town, thank you, Jesus. And for a year plus, I lived in blissful experiential union. I, God and I lived on walkie-talkies. And I would ask him, what do I have for lunch today? He'd go, ham and cheese, or whatever, you know. How do I avoid traffic on my way home? Okay, take the interstate. Yeah, I mean, it was that real. Uh, that internal audible voice of God. Not audible this way, but that internal, that is God's voice. Anything I would ask him, immediate answer. It was crazy. And I would at night, home alone, be saturated in laugh, cry, drunkenness, just vibrating in my bed under the presence of God, just completely snockered. And I would <laughs> videotape myself <laughs> in bed, <laughs> you know, exhorting my future self, saying, Kev, <laughs> you know, <laughs> If this is what God has on offer, then give him whatever he says. Don't withhold anything from him. You know, I was exhorting myself in the visceral nearness of God, not knowing what was happening, but creating Ebenezer stones for when that tangibility left, which it did for a season. That in the absence of the feeling, the reality was still true. And sometimes we don't need another encounter. We need to believe the one that we've already had. That's faith. Faith is always looking and expecting for the next moment God breaks in. But it is being established in something that requires no props, no feelings. It's a substance that no one can take from us. Um, and so then in 2013, suddenly I woke up one day. I was not in, I mean, I was still in process. Are you kidding me? Like I had mess. Like I was still, you know, being sanctified. I still am too. So, you know, whatever, it never ends. <clears throat> but, uh, <laughs> but I wasn't like in willful sin. I wasn't being disobedient or like rebellious or anything. But suddenly I woke up one day and God was gone. He wasn't gone. He was as near as he had ever been. But to me, he was gone. The walkie-talkie died. The battery went out. No more walkie-talkie. No more shaking in my bed. No more laugh cry. Silence. And I freaked out. Of course, I instantly, what's wrong? What did I do? God, where'd you go? Panic hit my soul. Um, I had given away tons of money, walked away from a lucrative job. I had been stripped bare, stripped bare. 
And all of a sudden, it's like I began to realize over the last, the, uh, this last year, I've been in a honeymoon and the Lord's like inoculated me with this drunken nearness. And now all of a sudden I realize I have nothing. You've taken everything from me. I lost my friends. I lost my stuff. I lost my cool clothes. I lost all my money. I can't, I'm like, what the heck has happened to me? And in the absence of his voice, the clamor of my soul started to come up and out. And oddly enough, in the absence of his voice, I found myself in a pickle because I was like, I know I should be really grateful because I know that you resurrected me from the dead and I know what my old life leads to, but everything in me knows that more than knows this now. This new normal doesn't feel normal. I just feel empty. And I want to go back now. I, a little, maybe, just a little. You know, maybe, I don't know. And old longings and desires and sins began to kind of want to creep up. And I didn't know what to do. And all I knew was to quote, now to him who is able to keep me from stumbling. Now to you who are able to keep me from stumbling. And all I knew was that I had to be really, really honest with God brutally honest with God, which required me being brutally honest with myself. And I needed to be really wise and really transparent with a very select few of people that I trusted to tell me the truth. And I can remember talking to a mentor at the time named Sean, and um, he oh, gave me the wisest advice. I was sitting in a parking lot of Whole Foods, and I was like, Sean, I feel guilty. I feel like I'm blaming God for saving me from wasting my life, but everything in me wants to go back to what I know. I miss my old life. I want to be able to buy a pizza, <laughs> you know? I want to be able to eat what I want, drink what I want, smoke what I want, do what I want. I want to do what I want. But I know where that goes, Sean. I don't know. I just, I feel like I'm disgracing God by even thinking about these things. And Sean said, and I just kept getting, and he's not saying anything, Sean. He's not saying anything. Is he saying anything to you to tell me? <laughs> and Sean, little wise Sean, was quiet for a moment. And I'm like, not you too. <laughs> Say something. <laughs> and he goes, Kevin, you don't need God to speak. You need God to sit. What? You don't need God to speak. You need God to sit. And he said, God's like this, Kev. God's a husband whose wife cheats on him. And she gets convicted. She confesses to her husband. She's repentant. He forgives her. They weep together. They're restored. And a decade goes by. And somehow through Facebook, I don't know, she finds out that her former lover has suddenly died. And in that moment, she's hit with grief because there was something there, some sort of affection, doesn't matter if it was holy or not, there was something there that she lost. And she's grieving. But she doesn't hide her grief from her husband. She comes to him. And God is not the husband that looks at her and goes, are you freaking kidding that man almost destroyed our marriage, almost wrecked your life, and you're crying over his death? Good riddance to that guy. No, that's not God at all. 
God is one who sits down and weeps with her. And in that, even strengthens the bond of love between them. And he was like, Kevin, you want God to speak. He wants to sit. Just let him grieve with you. Easier said than done, but that is what I did. And shortly after, and just a moment of deep lament and longing and surrender, I told God, okay. And I drove to the lake at three in the morning, wrote down all the stuff. I cast it into the sea of forgetfulness and I just said, you can have it. I believe that you're enough for me. And I woke up the next morning (laughs) and it was like I had died and been resurrected. And the first thing I remember as I was aware that I was awake was the voice of God saying, hello. And see, what I didn't know at the time was that the battlefield of the trial wasn't, I was in no danger of going back. What God was showing me was that I actually did believe that he was enough to sustain my soul. And that soul satisfaction is, was not, is no longer a theory or a quote. It is my real experience that I can stand before you and say, no matter what he requires of you, takes from you, he is able to satisfy the longings of your heart. That is real and true. And through the trial, I discovered that he had already satisfied me, even in the silence. Um, Matthew ten twenty seven says, whatever I speak to you in the dark, share openly. And isn't that the truth when we go through a trial? We feel like God's not saying anything, but he's actually saying a lot that we don't realize until we're on the other side of it. But that a lot becomes a substance that we get to share with other people. There are certain treasures in the kingdom of God that can only be mined in darkness. But those treasures can be given in the light. And there's a treasure of understanding the ways of God and the nearness of God by enduring trial that he leads us into. The promise, of course, being that we come out on the other side with a mature faith with greater hunger, with greater expectancy. We come out on the other side knowing his voice in new ways. We come out fuller, richer, and more satisfied than we were before. That's the promise. If you're in a trial, endure. Be honest before God. Be honest before a select few that you believe will tell you the truth. Um, and hope against hope that one day he's going to break through that darkness and you're going to see with your eyes things that are inside of you and things that are inside of him that you haven't seen yet. That's going to be glorious. Um, It's 12 o'clock. If you need to go, you're free to go. I am going to talk quickly on the mystery of tribulation. If, If the mystery of trial comes from the Lord and is for us, it's an inside Outwork Tribulation comes against us. The origin of trial is in the heart of God. The origin in tribulation is from the evil one. Um, tribulation is adversity. It is affliction, persecution. Um, it's trouble. 
I want to break those down. The word for uh, tribulation is philipsis. Uh, it means a narrow place, a tight place. It's, it implies the feeling of being confined. When you feel stuck by your circumstances and everything around you externally is pressing in on you in a way that actually the power of the word flipsis is less about the extremity of what's pressing in on us externally and more about the craziness that's happening internally inside of us as we endure that pressing. It's that internal panic, fear, gripping that happens when we feel like there is no way out of what we're in. A tribulation isn't about exposing what's in us, though it can serve that purpose. A tribulation is trying to come to eat, kill, and destroy. A tribulation is not something to surrender to. It is something to endure and to stand against, right? Tribulation, um, I want to speak to the three different aspects. Is First, persecution. Tribulation in the form of persecution comes through people. It's through the betrayal of a loved one or a friend. That's the hardest kind, I think. It's the false accusations of an enemy or a coworker or a family member. It's when people say all kinds of crazy things about you, falsely assign motives and all sorts of stuff. It's persecution. Uh, it's affliction body, soul, and spirit. It's illness, infirmity. It's emotional distress. It's demonic attack and warfare. Or it's trouble. It's circumstances. It's the sudden loss of a job or a position. It's a lawsuit. It's a death. It's the failure of some sort. A disaster, a tornado. Now, I want to be really clear again you know, there's a theology of redemptive suffering that God uses wicked, evil things to teach us lessons. God is good. God is good. He does not have anything that is not good in him, and anything that is truly good has its origin in him. He doesn't just dabble in darkness when it's useful. He is good. However, he's the sovereign Lord. And Jesus has the keys of death and hell in his hands. And as a friend told me once, wiser than I, Kevin, not everything comes from God. But in his providence and care for you as his child, anything that lands in your life has passed through his hands of loving kindness and mercy long before it came to you. And you can trust that if he, if that is true, then he is enough to sustain you no matter what you're facing. And so I propose to you that though God is not the origin of tribulation, he is in the midst of tribulation. And he's our anchor. He's strong to save. Um, what's required when we're in tribulation, and again, the Maranatha cry is the cry for tribulation. What's required is an eternal perspective. We need to see from heaven's perspective. And we don't necessarily need to see the suffering servant, though there's compassion there. We need to see the ruling and reigning king of glory. And that is one reason why I am so grateful that we're a house of prayer, that we gather morning, noon, and night, because as, as amazing as it is to encounter Jesus, to be fed daily bread, and to be sustained, this corporate beholding 
of the throne room will become necessary in the days to come. It will become necessary because the darkness will seem to be winning and we have to be anchored in an eternal perspective. As we endure tribulation and we let perseverance do its work, that's in James, notice the passive language of that, letting perseverance do its work, meaning just don't get in the way and stifle it, just let it produce its work. What's happening in us is that we are being purified, that our affections, our motives, our desires are being purified, that God is using something outside of him for him and for you. This is the mystery of how God uses tribulation. It actually doesn't destroy us. It makes us stronger. It fortifies us. It unites us closer to the the man of sorrows, and it unites us closer to the body of Christ as we cling to one another and endure together, right? We're being purified, but what purification isn't the only goal. He wants us pure because he wants to unleash his glory and authority on us. That the promise on the other side of tribulation, whether it's the great tribulation or just tribulations of a lawsuit or a failed thing or whatever, now, the other side of that is if you endure and let perseverance do its work, you will hold within yourself greater glory and greater authority. Now, And the purification process that came through the tribulation is only protecting that glory and authority so that you don't get lost in it or think that it came from you somehow. You know through what has been burned out of you, this belongs to God alone. You can house the glory of God without touching it, claiming it, owning it, or manipulating it. You can simply carry it. Hooray, this is the goal. Romans 8, 17, if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if we indeed share in his suffering in order to share in his glory. We cannot cry out for glory without welcoming suffering. If you want the glory of God, be weary what you ask for. When you're crying out for glory and your life blows up, he's giving you what you asked for. He's giving you what you asked for. We need eyes to see, and we need understanding of his ways. That's not the devil (laughs) coming against you. Maybe it is, but it's useful. It's only unto the answer of your prayer. God is sovereign. He's for us. We waste so much time praying against the things that God's like, but you asked me for this. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we'll reign with him. Revelation 24, my goodness, those who endured the most extreme persecution at the end, who are beheaded in obedience to Christ, find their home for eternity underneath the mercy seat of the throne of the Lamb, and they will reign with him forever. We must see as he sees, to have perspective that the hardship, though real, though painful, costly, heartbreaking, when one thinks about spending forever (laughs) right underneath Christ, (laughs) are you kidding me? 
It's not worth comparing the weight of glory that he's bestowing. Oh, there's so much more I wish I could say, but I've got to end. Um, If you'd stand with me, I want to invite you to respond in one of two ways. If you are in a trial, if you're in a trial, if God's led you into a season, you're aware that he of the deafening silence. You feel like God's a thousand miles away. You've searched your heart before the Lord. You know you're not in rebellion. You're not hostile towards the Lord. He just seems to have left you. Um, Then I just invite you today to submit yourself to the Lord, to entrust yourself to God, to allow him to produce his work in you, to allow him to infuse your soul with fresh hope to sustain you, to stop trying to wiggle your way out and figure out and slip into control, but to repent and to place your faith firmly in the one who has led you into the wilderness, knowing that as you pass through the valley, it's always through the valley. You will not get stuck there. He will not leave you there. He hasn't left you yet. Entrust yourself to the Lord, whatever that looks like. Maybe you need to kneel and get on your face. You can do it however you need to do it but surrender your will to him and trust yourself to him. But if you're in a tribulation today, an affliction, persecution, trouble, disaster, we want to pray for you. We want to carry that load with you. We want to declare the truth of God over that situation. We want to see the power of God come to pass. Of course, we want it to produce its work and we'll give glory to God and thanks for that. But we want some things are too heavy to carry alone. And if that's you, the ministry team's gonna be up here to remind you of who God is, of who you are, to speak words of life into you that are bread for today, and to remind you that the end of the story is you're not only gonna be leaning on your beloved, but you're gonna be walking in glory and authority like you haven't tasted yet. I wanna pray for you. Ministry team can go ahead and come up. Father, Oh, you are our great shepherd. We thank you. We thank you that you lead us, that you are for us, that you are with us always. Jesus, shepherd of our souls, we trust you. We declare that we are your prized possession, your holy people, beloved, cherished, and delighted in. Father, I thank you that your spirit leads us into places as uncomfortable as they are so that your work in us can be seen and savored and enjoyed. Lord, may the mystery of trial not become something frightening, but a fascinating place of deeper, richer trust and worship. Lord, for those that are enduring a season of silence, I thank you that you're still speaking May they have eyes to see. May they have eyes to see your leadership even in the darkness of the valley, Lord. And I thank you that on the other side of this thing, oh, the hidden treasures are going to be put on display. And I give you praise, Lord. I thank you for trials. I thank you for silence. I thank you for wandering and waiting. And I thank you for grace that 
allows us to endure it. But Lord, for those that are in tribulation, that are walking against the current of mighty things that have come against them, you are mighty to save. You are deliverer and sustainer. Lord, would you strengthen your people when there's nothing else to do to still stand, that we might be found faithful and full of faith, fully putting the weight of our confidence upon you. Strengthen us, we pray, so that we might reflect you to a world that's desperately wanting to see that this is real. Help us, Lord. Help, help, help. We love you and we bless you. If you want to receive prayer, please come up. I love you guys. Bless you. Have a good evening.